Welcome to the Remembering Ethan podcast. I'm Chris Tafoya. My guest today is Marty Lucas. Marty is the vocalist and guitar player for the band Nine Ball. And Ethan performed uh, in Nine Ball with Marty. And in addition to that, we're also very good friends. I knew of Marty's band when I lived in Phoenix, and we existed peripherally in the music scene there. Although I never uh, was formally introduced to him or sat down and talked to him, during our conversation, I remembered that we actually used to perform at the same venue for about a year at a place called Dos Gringos Trailer Park in Tempe, Arizona. And during our conversation, uh, you'll hear us talk about that. Marty was very excited to talk about Ethan, and I enjoyed hearing his insight and recollection of his time that he spent with him. So without any delay, here's my conversation with Marty Lucas. I hope you enjoy it. Hey, Marty Lucas, how are you? I am doing well, sir. Awesome, man. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me tonight. Uh, It was my pleasure. Well, you know, when I was um, thinking about you and what I wanted to talk to you about tonight, you know, I do my little notes ahead of time with each person I talk to, and I think about my experience. You know, so far, I've talked to mutual friends of Ethan. And um, so I have some history there, you know, and I, and I come up with some tailored questions sort of thing. But uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't, even though we were running in the same circles as Ethan, I don't think we ever formally were introduced or met. Am I right about that? You are correct. I, I don't think so. I mean, I saw you play and I, your name came up a lot with, in my conversations with Ethan, but we've never said nice to meet you and shaken hands. Right. And say, and same on my end. Um, Ethan would tell me what a, what a solid guy you were and the name Marty Luke and Natalie, Natalie, is that your yeah, wife's name? That's my wife. Yep. He would talk about, yeah, he would talk about you guys and how talented you were, you know, and as you know, and I'm sure you experienced this with Ethan as well, he was all about talking up his friends and their talent and he loved to introduce people and what they could do and, so yeah, I heard your name a few times as well. <laughs> yeah. He was great at that. Oh yeah, and he'd get you so hyped up about that person. <laughs> right. Uh, to a fault on a couple things that we had going on, where he he was uh, we were looking for a singer, and he talked up this dude a lot, and it did not work out. <laughs> well, that was the thing with Ethan. Like even if. Even if they weren't maybe the most talented, he still loved them so much yeah. and would talk them up anyway. Yeah, yeah. he was, um, Ethan, right. you know, self-admittedly, he would tell you that he didn't have a great voice and he couldn't play guitar, but he could perform circles around me and all my friends that might be, you know, technically better singers and guitar players. He was an entertainer. Like, it, you just didn't want to look away. You know, and there's people that yeah. are technically better at their instruments and singing that don't have any of that, myself included. Like, I'm not a guy that you're going to stare at and listen to hang on every word. Ethan was that guy. Oh, definitely charismatic. Yeah, you couldn't couldn't help but um, your eye just went straight to him on the stage. You know, that's for sure. 
Okay, so since we didn't know each other, and I don't have any history with you other than kind of knowing each other peripherally in the, in the scene out there, um, how about we start with how you met Ethan, you know, when you met him, when he came into your life? I, my wife, I think we might have met him around the same time, but separately. She would go hang out with um, a chick, Joy Stanley who was nine balls first singer first female singer um and she would go see um what were they called then tate and she always calls them tate band mm-hmm. so she would go to i think jilly jay must have been at jilly's a lot i think is where she said and she hung out there and they would jump up and sing with them you know, they would get up and do backups or they'd, you know, do a girl song and they'd take turns. So they were just hanging out with him. Um, my first, I think the first time I ever met him was also at one of those Jilly's Tate gigs, but it was a very quick thing. And we were, you know, like, you, you know, the drill when you're a working musician, you, you're busy at the same time as your friends are busy. So it's kind of tough to hang out. So um, we kept in touch peripherally, you know, every once in a while we would cross paths, but really the first, my first playing with him and really hanging out, there was um, the manager of Kokomo Joe's, Steve. He was trying to find Mm -hmm. something for Sundays. And he, of course, had seen Ethan and my band was playing up there as well. And he was like, guys seem like you'd make a pretty good team so um why don't you guys do sundays and i was like sure i mean i'll i'll do a gig i love playing and me and my organizational everything has to be a certain way that's that's how i run things i'm kind of an organizing freak and so i call ethan and i'm like hey so we got this we got this gig um so you send me your list with all the keys and I'll send you my list with all the keys. That way I can get recordings and I can learn everything. And, you know, halfway through, he's like, uh, no, 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 that's, uh, that's not how we do it. <laughs> and he was like, I'm going to play a song and you're going to follow me. Then you're going to play a song and I'm going to follow you. well i'm not super comfortable with that but i guess we'll see how it goes and that's my first serious serious ear training was looking over at a guy playing upside down and backwards on an acoustic guitar so i can't look at his hands i can't see the chords like after after a while i learned them but um the first month two months i'm solely on my ears you know i have to listen and you know he taught me anticipation um ear training that i had never had i'm a guy that you give me a song and i have plenty of time to work it out i'll work it out exactly right and i'll show up and i'll play it right i i've never had a dude just start a song like and he played 
a lot of the stuff that Brad had taught and I had to learn, you know, listening, anticipation of where the court is going to go. So my, he gave me a music theory education every Sunday. And, you know, cause I, I'm just wow. an ear player. I, I, I don't know much of anything, but he, um, he taught me in those Sundays, like I became a way better musician because he didn't let me do my regular thing, which was work stuff out um, way ahead of time. Like it was in the moment we made mistakes. He was fine with the mistakes and I was very uncomfortable with the mistakes and going to the wrong chord, but I got over that and it made a huge difference in my musical, you know, what I can do now. I, I can go sit in with a band I've never played with before and I can not, I, I won't sound terrible. You know, just people that I've never played with songs. I've ne not known knowing how to let that one full phrase go by. That's all Ethan Newman, man. He taught me all of it, all of it. And that was Kokomo Joe Sundays. Wow. Man, that's, that is definitely a theme with a lot of people that I'm talking to. And it was a, an experience I had with him as well. Yeah, he, he was, he was a teacher. He was, he was definitely as well as being a performer, amazing performer. He was a teacher. Like he, he, he knew theory and he liked to lay that on you. And I'm super glad he did. He he came in. I put together when we were all playing together. I put together a big band, fourteen piece band, horns, lots of people, and I didn't speak the language. Uh, you know, quite honestly, I was in way over my head. And he would come in and he would say, point at the trombone. We're because we tuned down a half step, even in that band. I don't know why, I guess, because all my guitars are set up that way. But there was a, not only a transposition, but keys that everyone is in. He, we're in blank. You're going to be around this. Our starting note is boom. And honestly, again, he's one of the main reasons that band got off the ground because he spoke the language. First, so that was your um, first project with him, was playing Kokomo Joe's on Sunday nights. We graduated to something much closer to home. We called it yeah, the Ethan and Marty Extravaganza. It's a little nod to Ted Nugent. <laughs> he hated Ted Nugent for his politics. But did Thursdays at CK's in Ahwatukee, which was closer to where I lived because I was actually living in Alatuki at the time and then we did every Thursday and those were epic nights of epic proportion um and this was with acoustic gigs acoustics yeah yeah I I had never again because of this I'd never done a duo or solo acoustic thing I I was I just didn't do it. And I got a crappy Charvel Gumby headstock acoustic guitar that played terrible. Um, I put some locking keys on it so it would maybe stay in tune, which it did. But 
not not great and we would we would do every thursday and um we built up quite a repertoire i mean but between the two of us like i kept like i would try to one-up him on learning you know two songs that we didn't do the last week and he'd come in like he had a catalog of who knows how many songs but he would always lay you know he would he would lay some more on me each week and not easy ones you know not easy ones but again i learned you know he would he would say hang out in a look out for the f sharp minor and the bridge is going to go to e and that's how apparently real musicians talk to each other and i never knew that like i never knew that whole world existed like you get like todd miller you get um uh mike mercer like those guys talk that language but yeah they they know that stuff and i i guess they came up that way i just never came up that way i i'm from the midwest and the thing back there was you learn the song exactly you you get the guitar sound if you don't have the pedal that's on the cover song you go buy the pedal if you don't have the right china for the drum part you go buy the china and you play the song exactly perfect like that's how i was brought up and so this was this was way different his mode of thinking but as a musician i learned way more to be able to hang with other pro musicians doing it the way he does it or did it um because that's what people do you know you get in a room sometimes sometimes you're playing a gig and four different guys have never played together before you know and there's a guy leading you through the tune um there was my drummer um ryan said there's no one on earth that gives better cues that gave better cues than ethan newman he could be he with this he was playing he was playing and singing and he was flashing the chord signs you know four one four five um two then with the other hand he would let the drummer know the stops like you know the fist the boom so he's directing the chords directing the rhythms and singing and playing bass at the same time and it's there's like nothing to him (laughs) nothing to him and he could be many beers in and still running all that running the entire show i'm surprised he didn't figure out how to do lights with his feet well he was doing well (laughs) he was doing the tambourine with his feet that's why he couldn't do lights with his feet and you know what else is so amazing about that is that he could do it with a musician that on any level you know if you were a, a beginner musician you know he wouldn't throw like one three five at you because that's a foreign language to a guy just starting out but he would actually you know say the chords like f to g to c. but if he was with a seasoned musician you know he'd throw theory out it's just and and again this is another common thing that i'm finding talking to everyone and just how amazing he was at it and for any different level you know and and how lucky were you you know, as your first time trying this sort of arrangement to come across Ethan and have him be the guy to help, you know, lead you into those waters and and show you how to navigate them. Yeah, have have someone that was so good at it and so seasoned at it. Like, he made it 
you know, what I was peeing my pants over, he made it where we were talking about a movie or something in between songs after a bit, you know, it wasn't even a big deal. And he was getting ready to lay a song on me that had six different chords. And so, yeah, it was, <laughs> uh, it was a good time. I, I, early on, and this was early on when I met him, this was before we started playing together. There was, I forget the bar, it was over on Kyrene and something. And um, Natalie and I had gone there for a Sunday brunch, and it, it was Todd and Ethan. And okay. we walk in, we walk in, and we're walking past the van. Like again, I knew him on the you know periphery. I on the, I, I didn't know him well, but we we had both seen them and hung out there at Jilly's watching Tate. And so I walk in, and there is Ethan and. They were undercover. They were under shade, except his feet. And he always wore those Tiva sandals. So he had fashioned, um, he had fashioned napkins into all the places on his feet where he was getting sun, so he wouldn't sunburn his feet. But like you know, you walk into a club <laughs> and there's a guy with napkins sticking out of his Tevas playing the playing the tambourine with his foot it was quite the sight quite the sight of many that i've seen <laughs> that i saw of ethan yeah oh man that guy now did your acoustic yeah. thing ever evolve into a, a full band did you get the experience of of him playing his primary instrument with you on bass you mentioned the fortunes band earlier yeah that was after we had started playing together we had we had talked about it and we had our second bass player, Steven Stippich. He, he knew he was going to move, but it hadn't happened. He was still playing with us. Um, he, he knew that this big move was coming up like for probably a year or six months. He knew it was it was inevitable that he was going to go to Seattle. And so we had talked, you know, Ethan and I had talked, he was playing with, I think his main gig at that time was Ryan Sims. He was playing with Ryan Sims. Um, and something happened right at the same time that Steven moved. So the planets aligned and then he started playing with nine ball. So nine ball. That's right. Yeah. So, and, yeah, you know, I, there for a minute, I had an old man brain fart. So you were nine ball. And now I remember watching you guys play. It's all coming back to me now that we're now that we're speaking and I'm seeing your face. And I do remember being at a nine ball show when Ethan was there as well. And we may have even gone together. Those days get a little blurry sometimes. But I remember watching <laughs> blurry? you guys. Is that what you call it? A little bit. And I remember coming up to you during a break and saying, dude, you guys are awesome. You know, I, I'm loving this. Ethan told me about you and, and I'm really digging, I'm really digging what you're doing. You know, I do remember watching nine ball play now. And I remember that you guys were very prominent in the scene. I mean, you played a lot of shows. Your name was out there a lot, you know, and like you mentioned earlier, you know, as musicians, you don't, 
you know, if you're friendly with other musicians, the only time you get to see each other is after a gig, hanging out somewhere, because we're all working, we're all playing our gigs. And I would see Nine Ball, you know, and, and a lot of venues that um, I was playing in, whether it was with the full band or, or the Chris and Randy show, that kind of thing. The Chris and Randy show. It was epic. We, we loved it. It was like, his last name's Kavanaugh, right? Randy Kavanaugh, yep. That's my brother yeah. from another mother right there. Yeah, it was, yeah. I just remember being thoroughly entertained. It, you, know, you know what I mean? Like, um, those happy hour gigs get a little loose, if you know what I mean. But, oh, yeah. Sure. But it was so entertaining. So, I mean, we would go early to set up. I, I wish I knew the club. It was, you know, it was one of those. Was it um, those Stringles trailer parts? That's it. That's it. Because it was like yeah. an every Friday. I mean, we had a residency week. there. What what day was it? Dude, well, depending on what year it was, they had us playing Friday night, Saturday night, and a Sunday matinee. And we probably did that for about three years. Um, oh, okay. But maybe like two years. And then as time went on, you know, other things come We mellowed out a little bit, but there for a while, yeah, it was three three days uh, a week on the weekend, so it was like constant. Yeah, because right when Natalie was joined Nine Ball, um, we mm -hmm. were playing there like an every it was like a Friday, I think every Friday. So we would play inside. I remember in that band area, and so we would get there early, set up, see the end of your all's that probably the last set and then go play so it was always it, it was fun but again i mean you guys were always playing and we were starting right after you so that's that's where the disconnect with the meeting happens because you know then we're busy playing i can't talk to you over the mic so probably played right yeah. on the same once a week for a year but we never got to talk you know yeah, dude. Again, it's all coming back to me now. I remember now. You guys were on the bill weekly at those Gringos. Yeah. That's where I would see your name at. And then the oh, so that is when uh, the few times I saw you guys play was that. But see, what Randy and I would do is because we were two guys, right? So uh, we would take the money and run. You know, we made a bunch of cash. We didn't have to share with anyone. We got along great. It was a perfect. It was a perfect grind. But what we would do is since we had on Fridays, we had the, the happy hour deal, we would book late night gigs. So we would get done playing at those, pack all our shit up, and then uh, go catch because Capital Down would play sometimes. Uh, we knew all those guys, you know, of course, Ethan and them. And then like Nine Ball would be playing sometimes, you know, just different bands from around. Uh, I'm trying to remember the other bands. Oh, my old brain, dude. I tell you, it's crazy oh, how you get yeah. older and that stuff just fades. But, but yeah, we would pack up and we'd take off to wherever we were playing next. So, you know, that's yeah. part of the – I'm sure that if uh, we weren't doing that, we would have, you know, got to talking over a beer after the show or during breaks sure, at some point. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah, I knew you were a teacher, correct? That is correct. Yeah, I taught – when I was out in Phoenix doing all the music, I was also a teacher. So I would hit it hard in yeah. summertime. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. When I was younger, I could pull off the weeknight gigs, but I actually handed a gig off to Ethan. Randy and I were playing at uh, San Felipe's 
in uh, okay. Desert Ridge on Thursday nights. And we were having a great time with it. Randy and I always had a great time playing. But, um, you know, I think I was 33. I was kind of getting to the point where it was, like, harder and harder to get up at 6 after getting home at, <laughs> I mean, Jesus. It would be, like, 2.30 or 3 o'clock. So I handed the gig off to uh, Ethan. And then Ethan and Randy ended up playing for a while together there. You know, and I'd go watch them every once in a while. But, um. Oh, that's awesome. I'm kind of, I'm reminiscing yeah. with you, and I kind of got off track of what it was. Oh, I, okay, so you were saying. <laughs> oh, no, that's so great. You were saying, yeah, it's fun, though, dude. I know. And, you know, that's the other thing about calling you guys and getting to know you better. It's just been wonderful to get to get to know you guys all much better, you know, now that we have the time and we're bonding over our brother Ethan. And it's just such a beautiful yep. thing. Nobody would be happier that this is going on than Ethan. I know. Nobody. I know. I know. And this journey I'm on, I've never felt closer to him. You know, I'm learning so much about him. It just, ah, it's crazy. But, um, okay. I want to, I want to stay focused with what I want. Cause I was curious about this. So you had a bass player, I think, and, and you mentioned his name earlier and he was, he was about to leave. So you hit Ethan up as a possible replacement. And then what happened from there? Correct. Something happened something happened now at this point asia was in his life um okay they um he was playing with ryan sims and i something went down there i mean i don't know if ryan this was when he was kind of starting to take off doing you know a little more national kind of thing um but ethan was looking for a gig and we needed a bass player so it worked out great i mean he jumped right in and um at first um everything was awesome you know for the longest time i mean i think i ended up having to fire him twice his claim to fame is he's been fired by more bands than any other individual in phoenix that's what he would always tell me um he's like (laughs) i'm usually good for about a year good for about a year (laughs) and so i don't know how long that first stint lasted but um it was great it was you know we had a very long honeymoon the guy again it was we were already a tight good band um steven was an awesome bass player but you know he didn't sing a lot and he wasn't you know he wasn't a comedian and a historian and an astrologer and all the stuff that Ethan was like he would come in and just like with our duo he'd say um we're in D follow me and then he would do a new song and he would replace the words with what was topical that day on the news and even if it was just for his entertainment swapping out lyrics about topical things we all heard it and we all cracked up. We had a great time. Um, yeah, that's something that that's something I I hear other people do that I think they they heard Ethan Newman do that and realize how fun and cool it is. So now now I see some other people doing that. Shoot, I do it in songs we do still. All the stuff he used to stick in these zabatos on uh, the. The uh, Bill Withers tune he used to throw the the Spanish in on that. I don't even know what I'm saying, but I learned it from Ethan. 
I just blame it on him. Oh, we stole, Randy and I stole that from Ethan too, you know, from playing with him. We would, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's why Randy and I, you know, a lot of the antics that Randy and I would pull on stage, we, we took bit directly from Ethan, you know, cause we both played in a band with him and uh, we would watch him. And, you know, it's like when, uh, say, let's say that Bill showed up to the show, right? I'm singing a song and there's Bill and he's cool and everyone knows about Bill and you know and the first time I saw him doing that it just blew my mind because I'm like oh my god he's changing the lyrics of a song and he's adding this dude's name in it like no one does that you know oh, but it was yeah. hilarious yeah. and Bill had yeah. the biggest smile on his face and it just it was like connect there was a connecting energy as soon as he put that guy and I and I noticed it and I capitalized on it right away, you know, and when Randy and I would do it. Um, and it, that was one of the things I learned from Ethan because it endears you to the audience and they show up again and they love because they go, that guy's going to see, he's going to say hi when I show up to his show. Yeah, it's just, it's, there's, there's a connection there. Again, I go from playing everything perfect, singing everything perfect, making sure that there's not more than four seconds in between songs like that was me early on and then you realize people don't want to just hear the cd you know people want a connection right you know it's it's about you connecting with the audience again that's something ethan newman taught me and you know so what if we're going to screw around for three minutes in between the song you're talking to people hey you know the wife comes in he knows the wife's name every time and you know right mentions you know how hot the dress she is that she's wearing that does yeah. way more than singing than singing the queen's exactly perfect you know what i mean like the, the crowd the crowd hits off of that way better you know and again that's that's something i take with me every time we play now and not being so uptight. I mean, I think that's probably one of the main things you tell me. Just don't, it's, it's, you don't have to be so uptight. You're trying to make a connection with the people that are coming to see you. You know, he was a master right. at it. Yeah. So it sounds like you spent a lot of time on stage with them. Um, how about off stage? I mean, you guys were good friends, weren't you? Did you spend a lot of time hanging out and getting to know them on a personal level and that kind of thing? We were just so we were so busy and we played so much when I was playing with him because he was doing nine ball. We were putting together spark Jack daddy, which is the big band. Um, we were still doing duos all the time. He paid for my wife. When we built, had this house built. And I tell everybody this, this was 2014 when we, had the house built there is x price on the house but then after you go to this evil design center where all of the cool shit is um and then then the price goes to here and Always. it was about 20 probably 25k extra and ethan newman in one summer paid for that with gigs he gave me there were days we'd do triples we would start at 11 do an 11 to 2 um then do um a happy hour then do a night gig and just 
cranking it, just going, going, going that one summer because we had already had the house starting to be built, went to that design center, and we did. I didn't have the money for it. Like there was no way. Like I didn't have a bunch of savings. It was like, um, and FHA. I don't want to get uh, technical, but FHA was only the the loan could only be so much. So I either came up with that money at closing or I wasn't getting a house. It just wasn't going to happen. And we played gig after gig and and it was just so hot and we would be so drained at the end of the night. Like there wasn't much hanging out um, during a couple of those years because we played a lot. I mean, as you well know, he played without even adding a full band to that and corporate stuff. He played a lot. Man, he was a gigging musician. You know, there were um, whenever I would come back to Phoenix and spend time, he would always open his home up to my wife and I. And it was interesting because we'd be staying at his house, but I wouldn't see him. You know, well, if I stayed up late enough, he'd he'd come uh, tumbling <laughs> in the door around three a.m. You know? And probably probably grabbing his guitar and wanting to still play yeah. because you're there. Oh yeah. Yep. Either that, either that, or Ethan and I had a tradition of watching the Muppets on that big old crazy TV he had in his living room. The ancient, the ancient rear projection, big streaming. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that crazy TV, and he had all these uh, VHS cassettes of the Muppets. <laughs> he would put them on. It was either that or Metallica concerts or something. We we bonded over Muppets <laughs> yeah. and Metallica. <laughs> yeah. I think oh, I watched with Peter Gabriel deep once he got real fancy and got a DVD player. Um I think it was a Peter Gabriel concert we watched. <laughs> Dude, how about that CD collection that he had at his house? Wasn't that amazing? Oh my god. I couldn't believe it. Just a wall. <laughs> and the Christmas tree, yeah. the Christmas tree of bases is the best thing I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. When you were uh, when you were playing with Ethan, or when you guys were hanging out, you know, just as buds or whatever, what did you notice about the way Ethan treated people? Oh, always. Um, I'm trying to think if I ever. I I never he. I don't know if that's a Brad thing. Him learning that as a musician that you don't screw people and you don't burn bridges and that bar owner is always right because you want to go back there and play but i never saw him dress down a sound guy after monitors howling during a sound check where you know lesser people would kind of give the guy some business he would never he was always smiling that's his positivity that's probably something else I've learned from him. I, I I try to be jovial and nice and treat everyone with respect because you never know when you're going to see those people again. You know, um, he, right. the the last time I saw last time I saw him perform, this would have been November, maybe maybe October. Um, no, we, we were all locked down. This, this was late. This this was November, at least. Um, it was him, um, 
Alan Dakina and um, Mike DeWitt. A lot of talent in a three-piece band, right? Like that's a lot of experience and a lot of talent on any stage in, in this city. And I went to, I had a gig earlier, so I go there and he, um, he comes up, like they're up there doing their thing and they're crushing it. It sounds amazing. Like, I mean, their harmonies and any one of them alone could have handled the room and performed great. And then you got these times threes, you know, it's like, uh, the Avengers up there and this was at Copper Blues downtown, and they were kind of going through some managerial stuff. The The manager told them that they needed to up their BPMs. <laughs> what? <laughs> okay. And I'm sure that guy was an awesome musician. He might not have even known what a BPM is. Um, right. But I saw this exchange. And they were still playing. Like I saw this going on. Like you could see Ethan with the, the big wide eyes, like um, <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Okay. So then of course they played a little pep a few songs that were a little peppier. And then yeah. the guy, um, the guy didn't fire them, but he told them to stop. And he came up. Wow. <laughs> So he came over to the table and he was like, they just, um, they just, of course he exaggerated something. He was like, they just fired us. He was like, they just fired <laughs> me, Alan Dakina, and Mike DeWitt. Like, what? But he didn't, you know, to go, to go back to what we were saying, he didn't make that manager feel bad he didn't he didn't do anything he was like that's what you you know if that's what you want us to do of course he being a professional he made sure that he was getting full pay but he was like if that's what you want great call us when you need whatever this is if you ever need this instead of bpms just call me and we'll play <laughs> and we'll do a good job for you you know great. yeah wow Ethan, man. I wanted to share this. Um, this is my this is my playlist. Like Ethan comes home from gigs with me all the time. Now. I mean, he's still sitting in the passenger seat. Like when I put this on, this is the list. You can call me out. Use me. Oklahoma breakdown. Star Wars main theme, Pearl of the Burl by Mastodon. Um, you don't know how it feels by Patty. Lay, lay down, Sally. Running down a dream. Look at me fly by Stony Larue. Wrong way. Oblivion by Mastodon. You love um, Mastodon. Uh, fucking hostile by Pantera. Friend of the Devil. Good one coming on in nutshell. That's the 15 songs I kind of put in my list. And I'll cry, I'll cry my ass off driving home after a 
you know, long, shitty gig. Because it's like he's sitting there, you know. Yeah, man. Sure. During those times, I mean, would would he confide in you a lot? I mean, would you guys, were you a support system of sorts for him? I don't know if the support system, I, I, I was an ear for him to shoot stuff off of, at least to talk to somebody. You know, I'm I'm learning so much more about all you guys that I'm talking to, guys and girls, and 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 realizing, you know, and with every single person, I understand why Ethan loved you so much. You know, you're a solid guy, and I really appreciate this time that you're taking to talk with me. One of the things I love um, asking people about are Ethan stories in general. I'm waiting for the day where someone sits me down and asks me some questions because I've got some doozies, man. You know. But I mean, he was such a character and he was so gregarious and so fearless and just, you know, blah, he would get out, do just whatever. Do you have uh, a story that sticks out in all the years that Ethan was your, was your friend that I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot and testing your memory here, but can you think of something, whether it was on the stage or off the stage? I mean, there's gotta be a gazillion. I mean, we had flyouts and stuff, same stuff. I mean, it was it was every time we got together. I mean, there was the one-liners and the things. I can't remember a specific thing. I I, I remember moments in time that were, you know, kind of milestones in the band or like with him, like when he came into the band and, you know, what he did to get kicked out of the band, you know, those kind of things. But that's not, um, yeah, I'll, uh, maybe if we do another one of these or there's another season or we all do a round table, I can, uh, I'll come up with something. But yeah, he just, I just remember, I I just remember he, there, there was never, even during the darkest of darkest times he never brought it on stage never um once he was performing he was performing and that that was his thing and that was his focus and anything bad money problems girl problems car problems it all went away and then he was performing because that's that was his natural habitat man being in front of people playing music and um never never brought it on stage where are you where do you live so i'm in upper michigan now when i left phoenix i went to san antonio and then we moved to a little town in uh, texas close to dallas called well we stayed in texas for san antonio wichita falls and then uh, my wife got a job here in Upper Michigan. So I'm like, here's Green Bay, and I'm in the Upper Michigan, so about two hours north of Green Bay where Wisconsin touches Upper Michigan in a little place called Iron Mountain. Oh, wow. Population 7,500, 7, something like that. Um, so you get so bad winners. Well, yes, yeah. It, depending on your definition of bad, well, you're from the Midwest, right? So you were born and 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 lived with the fourth season. But see, me, I grew up in El Paso, Texas, 
where snow was something I saw in movies at Christmas time, you know? Right. <laughs> so it's novelty for me still, you know, the four seasons, so far my favorite season is fall. I love fall, my favorite by far. Yeah, oh, the, the colors. The first year I li- truly lived in a place that had colors, um, I tell, I always say the same thing is just, I almost crashed because I'd be looking at the trees while I was driving down the road. And <laughs> right. It's just so beautiful. And in wintertime, Marty, I mean, I'm not much of a, like a, I don't have good balance. So I, I don't get out on a snowboard or skis or anything like that. My wife and my kids do. Um, they got her athleticism, thank goodness. But um, I just love sitting and looking at the snow and not having to do any yard work. I mean, you got to push some snow around or whatever. <laughs> right. And winter here reminds me of Phoenix summers, right? Because you stay inside yeah. all day. And I remember, yeah. I remember in Phoenix, I'd turn my car on and blast the AC. Here, I turn my car on, blast the heater. <laughs> you know, so. But that's yeah. where I'm at now. Now, you say you're from the Midwest. What part of the Midwest are you from? Um, I was born in Louisville, Kentucky, but I was raised about 30 miles north in Indiana, a place called Scottsburg, Indiana. So we didn't have, we had mild generally, other than I think, uh, would it have been 74? No. I was thinking the year you were born. There, there, was, there was a blizzard one year, but like normally it's always pretty mild. I mean, we got snow, but not all the time for sure. Um, that was north of Indianapolis. Um, but one time we, we got dumped on pretty good, but it was pretty mild where I was raised. But I did get the four seasons. Um, fall is my favorite as well because it reminds me of marching band. Love it. I just always, every year when it comes around, I love it. You know, Ethan, it was like Ethan was kind of, I felt, this is my experience. You know, when I heard he was sick and when he passed away, I just felt like he was just ripped away from me. And I did get a chance to have a last, com- I didn't know it was my last conversation, but we had a great conversation the last time we spoke. But if you had the opportunity to tell Ethan something one more time, what do you think you'd say to him? I, I talked to him like a week before. Like he was getting ready to go to the hospital. And I got, talked to him because I had just had COVID and um, he was kind of picking my brain about stuff, you know, about how I felt and all this stuff. I mean, I don't know what I'd tell him now. I mean, just tell him I miss him and I love him, I guess. I mean, yeah, it's uh, not, not fun when I really think about him being gone because it's like I didn't you know with other people that have passed like my brother he passed during COVID and I've had other I had a wife before Natalie that passed I saw them and I saw what killed them and I saw them after they had passed and because of COVID I didn't see him so it just he's not gone yet. You know, it's it's kind of a weird weird thing. He's it just it, it there's not a lot of closure because I just got a call. You know, I got a call from Brad and then it was he's gone. Like there was no 
I didn't go to, couldn't, I mean, they couldn't do a funeral. It was during COVID. So I couldn't really mourn him. Um, didn't really see anything that was proof that he was gone. You know, that's why my rides home from gigs, he's still there. I, I never saw him dead. I, ne I never saw, you know, an urn. And it's just, it's weird because I just, you know, there's not a lot of closure for people. I'm, I'm hoping that um, we had talked a while back about doing a, like a benefit concert or a show at a club or something just where everybody could have enough notice to get the night off and everybody show up and have Diet Coke and rums and talk and play all those songs that are on everybody's playlists. And, and, but I, I don't know where that's left off. I know Kirsten was working on it. Um, so I don't know if that's going to happen or if they didn't want that to happen. Maybe, you know, Kathleen and Brad didn't want it to happen. I don't know. Um, but it's just weird because like I said, with other people in my life that have passed, I have seen that they've passed and it, I never got to see that. I just still, uh, still not a lot of, you know, not closure to know that he's gone, you know, it just seems like he's around all the time. Yeah. Well, you know, man, I think that you're not alone, you know, because of the time that he passed away in. And I definitely felt very far away. I felt far away for a long time because I've been so far from Phoenix. And I'm hoping that, you know, by us all talking, listening to each other's stories and stuff, that maybe that be some kind of a substitute for that, you know, for our lack of. Uh, of a ceremony or something you know but like you say there's bound to be with a guy like ethan at some point there's bound to be some sort of a culmination of people to celebrate his life and i'm sure it's going to happen you know you know and i do appreciate you sharing with me um the voicemail you know that that you have that helps helps you think of ethan as well with brad it's just been great talking to you man and and sharing your thoughts and your memories of Ethan. And like I said earlier, I can see why he loved you so much, you know, and I look forward to getting to know you some more and keeping his spirit alive through that way. You know, I think that's how we can keep him with us. You know, yeah, that's, I mean, that sounds cool. If you, if you, I don't know if you do any music at all anymore, but if, I, I'd love to, you tink around on something and send it to me. I'd love, we could work on, you know, you don't have to be in the same state to record music together anymore. And again, that would be something that would make um, our brother smile huge. I'm sure if people that didn't even really know each other too well, posthumously got together and wrote music, he would, he would love that. Oh man, that would be great. And I do, I do still write and record. Um, Alan Chadwick gave me some recording chops back in the days when he recorded those first two albums I did with Ethan. And Ethan actually would do remote uh, tracking for me. So I've got a ton of Ethan bass lines and stuff like that, but I'm always working on stuff. Well, Marty, I hope you have a good evening, man. I look forward to uh, talking with you some more in the future. And I just really appreciate you taking some time out of your biggest busy schedule to sit down with me and talk about Ethan. 
awesome. Anytime, anytime. And hopefully um, I'll get to get the formal introduction whenever you come out here next. We'll go hang you some dinner or something. Sounds good to me, man. We'll make it happen. You have a good evening, Marty. All right, you too. Take care. Well, that was a great conversation with Marty, and I can tell that he misses Ethan very much. After listening back to our conversation, um, I got to thinking, and you know, I think Marty did a really good job at describing something about Ethan that was very unique, in my opinion. In the music scene that existed at the time that we were all performing, uh, Ethan did a really good job of keeping really positive relationships with all the musicians and venues that he would perform at and with. And even though um, he'd been known to overextend himself at times, he was always professional and positive, which I believe helped him to be very marketable. And probably the reason that he performed with so many people and in so many projects over the years. Marty is still performing nowadays, so if you'd like to keep up with him, uh, he is available on Facebook. So I'm sure you can find out where he's performing there. Please join me next week when I'll be speaking to Justin Stewart, the um, lead singer and guitar player and songwriter of the band Rose Colored Eyes. I have a great conversation with Justin, and I think you'll enjoy it. So please make sure you return for that. I'd like to leave you today with a song written by Marty Lucas called Mainspring. And what makes this song special for Marty is that Ethan inspired the lyrics and music. And uh, this came during an era of Ethan's life when in his first marriage to Asia, when they were performing together a lot. And so that's where the idea for this song came from. As always, thanks for joining, and we'll see you soon. I'm coming down on a Saturday morning I check my pockets and my phone I can't stop thinking about what you said last night Should I even try to come home It's been months now since I've kissed your lips Taste your disappointment Your friends are not my friends Now whose fault is that? Now that all depends on On who you were asking On who you were asking Am I falling apart again? Gonna get it back, gotta get it back to good I prayed of peace for just one day
I'm still all in I never thought 